Well, good morning to y'all. And happy Mother's Day to you mothers out there. Absolutely. Very good to be here today. I was listening to uh, the message last week, and it's great hearing Brother David read the uh, read the sermon text. He's so lively, you know. But miss him today, but he's off with his mother, so I bless him for that. All right, well, today we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation. We're going to read all of chapter 7. So Revelation chapter 7, when you find it, would you please stand for reading God's Word? All right, Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. And 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. (coughs) After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the four, And then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come before your throne of grace, only able to do that because of what Jesus has done in our behalf, because of your great mercy, because of your love for us. Lord, we want to give you thanks this morning for your word that we find to be sustenance for our souls, Lord. Words of encouragement as we face difficulty in this present age. Words of assurance 
that you hold all things in your power. And that in the end, Christ will be manifest as victorious over all. And all of the blessings, all of the promises of salvation will be fulfilled and fully realized by all who are in Christ. We thank You for these things, Father. We pray for strength, for empowerment now as we live in this present age that we may do what You've placed us here to do, that we may be lights in this world of darkness, that we may be messengers carrying the gospel, the gospel once for all delivered to the saints, faithfully carrying that message to, to the world. Lord, use us to that end, we pray. And again, in all that we do, not only here today, but in all of our lives, Father, we pray, be honored and glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Amen. Well, a couple of things I want us to remember here uh, as we move through this uh, study. And uh, one, I've given you a couple of times. I'm going to refer to it again this morning. John 16:33, which uh, I am uh, offering as kind of a summation of the book of Revelation. All right? That may sound kind of funny, pulling it from another... Another, actually, from another book, but it does sum up so well, uh, I think, the message of the revelation. So John sixteen thirty three says, uh, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Great words of assurance and, and promise for all who are in Christ. From the Lord, and uh, uh, just again, just want us to keep that in mind as we move through here, because that, that's kind of that's the big picture of the the book of Revelation, summed up in in just a uh, a sentence or two. All right. Now, in today's text, um, and I haven't done this previously um, with with this study, but a lot of times when we're going through a book, you know, I'll give you a, a key verse. Uh, right. So, you know, in fact, the authors, you know, they. They, they uh, place verses there that, uh, that are easily used for that. So I'm going to give you one this morning that, that uh, it, at least is a key verse here in, in our study in the Revelation, and it's in our text today, and that's verse 10. And uh, the latter part of verse 10, uh, the, uh, the multitude is crying out here, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, there again, that, that is just a great summation of the whole message of this book, the Revelation. Because that's, that's what God is making known at, throughout redemptive history and through the pages of the Bible and, again, in particular, uh, the pages of this, this book, uh, the Revelation, that salvation belongs to our God, right? The biblical God. Um, Jonah said it this way, salvation is of the Lord in Jonah 2.9. Salvation belongs to our God, the one who sits on the throne. We've talk, talked quite a bit about that. Uh, he's he's sitting, sitting on the throne. That, that pictures him as ruling, ruling actively. He's, he's presented in the book of Revelation as ruling actively and absolutely. 
He is the one seated on the throne or sitting on the throne. So our God, uh, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Of course, Jesus, um, the, the, the one who is uh, triumphant uh, over the world, triumphant over death and sin. Uh, as John 16.33 says, uh, he has conquered the world, okay? So that's where our salvation is. That's where it rests in, in, uh, in what God has done in our behalf and, and what God is doing uh, day in and day out. All right, with those things in mind, let's go back to chapter 1 here, and I just want to set a little bit of the, the, the context here. Remember, where we are in this study is the Lamb um, that, that we are presented with back in chapter 5, which, of course, is Jesus. He's the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Uh, and he's the lamb who was slain. Uh, he is now opening the seals, the seven seals, of the scroll that he had taken from the one who sits on the throne, right? And we talked about that, so just, just a little bit of quick refresher. Um, the idea there, I think, with the scroll is that uh, it, it is the, ultimately, it's the, the opening of the scroll is the bringing of all of history to its proper end. And that includes uh, judgment on the world and fullness of salvation for all of God's people. And the only one that is worthy to do that, to bring those things to completion and, and fulfillment and make them happen, is the Lamb who was slain. And so in the last um, couple chapters, actually chapter 6 and then, and then now into chapter 7, you, we've, we've got the seals being opened. And we've talked about, for example, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first, the first uh, four seals. Um, and then when the fourth seal was opened, um, in uh, chapter 6, verse... Sorry, the fifth seal, I should say. The fifth seal in chapter 6, verse 9, um, John sees under the altar in heaven the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. And then, at, with the opening of the sixth seal, it brings us to the very end of time and the outpouring of God's judgment. Now, in chapter 7, verse 1, and, and by the way, this, this, all of these things are happening in one vision. The, the revelation is divided up into uh, various different uh, visions. Um, this is the second vision, which begins back in chapter 4, verse 1. All right? And... and uh, you know, we have John looking into the very throne room of God and seeing all of the worship going on around the throne and to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And then chapter 6, the opening of the, the seals. And now we get to chapter 7, and we are between the opening of the sixth seal and the opening of the seventh seal. So all of this is still precedes the actual opening of the scroll. So uh, I think we can interpret that, in other words, as things leading right up to the end of time, right up to the judgment, um, God's judgment upon the world, which will be at the very end, and, and then the, uh, the full realization of our salvation, which again will be at the, at the very end, the resurrection uh, where um, we receive glorified bodies and where we enter into the Lord's presence uh, to be there for all eternity. So, so these things are leading right up to that. And again, in chapter 7, we're between the opening of the sixth seal, which takes place in the latter part of chapter 6, and the opening of the seventh seal, which takes place in chapter 8. So this is kind of a 
interlude, and it, and it seems to be for the for the for the purpose of refocusing on on the main theme here, the main point. And again, we can sum that up. What is the main point? Well, we can sum that up again in a, in a few ways. I'm going to give you a couple ways here. One is with the text I read from John 16:33. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer or take heart. Jesus says, "For I've conquered." The world. Now, that's that's the focus throughout the book of the Revelation. That God is seated on the throne. He's ruling over all. He, uh, ha, you know, has everything in control. And Jesus is presented as Lord, of course, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the one who has conquered and has in conquering conquered in our behalf. So, so all of all of the promises of our salvation rest in. Jesus' ability to conquer, right? And, and we are shown time and time again here that, that uh, He does just that. He's able to do that, and He does that. So this is kind of a, chapter 7 is kind of an interlude, again, for, for refocusing on, on uh, those facts, that salvation does indeed belong to the Lord. So let me, let me just kind of put it on in my own words here. This is, this is the, the um, I'd say, the main point uh, for today, all right, for the text this morning. God sovereignly keeps His people safe in the midst of this present evil age and will ultimately bring all of His people safely to the blessed eternal state in His very presence. That, what I would say, is the main point. God is going, let's, let's say it another way, real simply, God is going to get us to the finish line, all right? Whatever that takes. Whatever the resistance is, Whatever the, the tribulation, the hardship uh, we encounter in this world, God is going to get us to the finish line. And the finish line is to be in His presence forever and ever. All right, so we're being reminded of that here. So let's, let's go through a few things here. And I'm going to kind of skim the surface here. So again, if, if, you, if you see something that, um, you know, that you have a question about that I don't mention, or, uh, or something like that. Or maybe I do mention something and, and you say, hmm, I, don't, I got a question about that. Um, we, we can deal with that tonight, okay, Lord willing. So, so make a note of it. Make a mental note. Um, or if you're like me, it's probably better if you write it down. Or, uh, you know, put it in your uh, smartphone or something like that so that you, so that you have it for tonight. And, and we'll deal with those things tonight. This morning we're just kind of getting an overview. I'm going to kind of skim the surface here. Okay. Verse 1. After this, now, what, what just happened prior to this? Well, the opening of the sixth seal and God's judgment being poured out on, uh, on the world. Um, verse, uh, you look back in chapter 6, when he opened, in verse 12, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished. Just, you know, just picture these things as we're reading them. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks on the mountains or of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne 
and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? And let those last words just kind of burn in your mind there. The great day of His wrath has come, or of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Who can stand? Now John says, after this, I saw four angels. Now what, what we're going to see here in the book, in, in, the, uh, in chapter 7, um, uh, I, I don't think we should think of it as chronologically after the judgment. It's just that John is saying, after, after I saw this vision of God's judgment um, unleashed on the earth, after that, I saw this. And this is where we're going to kind of get to this reminder um, for us of uh, who's in control of all these things and where our security rests. It's important. Listen, um, as many have pointed out, we have enjoyed a sort of Disneyland experience in the United States of America uh, in terms of our Christian walk. When, we, when you compare what we live compared to what Christians deal with in places like China, Sudan, now Iraq, Syria, Saudi Arabia... When, when you compare what you and I live and, and deal with day in and day out with what they endure, um, it, it makes ours look like a sort of Disneyland-type experience, right? And, you know, you, you, I think American Christians, Christians, a lot of times we, we read words of Jesus like John 16, 33, in the world you have tribulation, and we kind of puzzle at that, and, and, and people kind of take all kinds of approaches and say, and we, we apply, you know, uh, our hardships, you know, um, which sometimes don't amount to much. Sometimes do, but sometimes don't. And we think, well, you know, I guess that's that's my tribulation. You know, I got up this morning, wasn't quite awake, and stubbed my toe, and uh, this is this is what I have to deal with in this present age. Uh, and somehow, somehow that just doesn't compare to somebody that uh, that's life is actually on the line day in and day out, just for being a Christian. Somebody who's facing beheading or slavery, or something like that, just for being a Christian. I'm saying all that just to say this. Um, it's, it's even changing here. So, what, what we have here in the Word of God, great words of encouragement, specifically for tribulation. So, whether we face, and, and, it, and it can apply in other areas, so, so whether we face... Uh, you know, something like our, our, our lives being threatened by the sword because of our faith, or even uh, things that are just the result of this broken world we live in, things like cancer, uh, broken relationships, whatever it might be, you know, a lot of, a lot of severe things that we do uh, encounter. Um, these are words of assurance for us to strengthen our endurance in this world. Right to strengthen us for endurance, so that we we get the bigger picture, so so that we we face the trials that we go through with these things in view, that God is seated on the throne. Nobody's knocked him off the throne. 
Now, we used to raise goats, and I, I like to watch them get up on top of something. You know, one, one billy goat get on top of something, and the other ones try to knock him off. You know, it's just fun to watch. No, nobody's knocked God off the throne. He rules, and He rules actively. Now, he's, not, he's, he's, he's not just there as a figurehead. He's, he's actually sovereignly orchestrating things in this world. He rules actively, and He rules absolutely. There is nobody out from under His reach or His reign, all right? So we can go, we can face trials and persecutions and whatever kind of tribulation we face in this world with those things in view. God is on the throne. He reigns. And in the end, the Lamb, who came the first time in humiliation, in the end, emerges as victorious King of kings and Lord of lords, right? And all will have to acknowledge that, that He is Lord. So that's, that's where the, the, the focus is here. Now, after this, John says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And I think what's happening here is that these things represent, once again, uh, calamity, God's judgment about to be unleashed on the earth. But here you've got it pictured in this way, that four angels are holding um, the destruction back. Now, why is that? Well, verse 2, Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea, are the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God. So here's, I'm just going to give you three basic points here. Here's the first one. We are presented here as being safe in tribulation. Safe in tribulation. If you want to just put it like that. Safe in tribulation, right? Because what is happening here, you've got... Uh, the, the destruction, the calamity, the judgment represented in chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. And then you get into the first few verses of chapter 7, and I think what is pictured with these four angels holding back the four winds, he's saying that this judgment is sure it's coming, but right now it's being held back until the servants of God are sealed. And so there's this other angel that, it, that emerges with the seal of the living God. And he says to those who are given power to harm the earth, do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. The servants of God are marked, sealed, before God's wrath is unleashed. Okay? Now, verse 4. Boy, there's much discussion over these next few verses, uh, and maybe we can deal with it more tonight, but I'll give you um, just a little bit here. Verse 4, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then he lists, um, lists the 12 tribes, and, and this is going to be a different list than you will see uh, in, in uh, different places in the Old Testament. Uh, for example, um, they're listed in Genesis 35. But, of course, there the tribe of Dan is included. Here it's excluded. So, so this, this is a little bit different list. And here you've got Joseph and Joseph, uh, one of Joseph's sons, Manasseh, uh, included. So, so um, 
to give you the shard of it, I, I, it, it seems to me, just like much of the, the, the numbers that are used in the book of Revelation and the symbolism that is used in the book of Revelation, that, that something is being represented here. In other words, this is, I, I don't think this is to be taken as, as literally um, meaning that there were 12,000 ethnic Jews from each of the tribes of Israel marked out. That certainly is a possible interpretation. Uh, but, I, but I think what's going on here is these numbers are given uh, just to represent the fullness of a particular group. And that group would be God's people. So I'm, I'm going to give it to you this way. And like I say, if you want to have a little more discussion on it tonight, we can. But, but I think what we see here is the same group represented with two different pictures here. The first one is in these few verses, verses 4 through 8. Um, with the 144,000, the sealed of God. And I think this is representing the church of, of every ethnicity, right? every nationality. In other words, the, the number 144,000, all of the tribes of Israel, it's just the idea of, of fullness. The full number of God's people are represented here. But here, with the picture of the 144,000, they're represented pre-tribulation. The Great Tribulation. They haven't, haven't gone into it yet. And they're being sealed. They're being marked out. But now when you get to verse 9, and you got that phrase again after this, after this I looked, and behold, so John sees another, another um, picture play out. This time, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? Who are these? So you got the first group, the 144,000, that are being sealed because the Great Tribulation is coming. And now you've got the second group here, and that's going to bring us to second heading here, second point. Saved out of tribulation. Saved out of tribulation. Now, what I think we got represented here is the same group of people, that is the church, the people of God, all of the redeemed, but in the first picture, with 144,000, they have not yet entered into the great tribulation. In the second picture, the innumerable multitude, they have been through it and come out of it. And they are before the throne of God, praising God, crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, um, the identi- identity of the 144,000 is, is a little bit obscure, right? As, just as the way it's presented here. And that's why there are uh, various um, ideas as to who they represent. There's a little more clarity with this second group. Verse 13, One of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these 
clothed in white robes. And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these definitely, right, are, are the redeemed, saints, coming out of the great tribulation. And I, and I would look at that two ways, by, by the way. Um, one, again, in light of John 16.33 and other passages, uh, there in John 16.33, Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation. So, so in one sense, this whole period, this age, is the tribulation. For Christians, in the world you have tribulation. That's, that's the way it has been throughout history for God's people. For the Jews in the old, under the Old Covenant and for Christians under the New Covenant. In the world you have tribulation. Jesus said, they will hate you because they hated me. So that's just the way it is for uh, Christians in this world. We're, we're in this world, but we're not of this world, and therefore we, we, um, we often um, suffer persecution because of that. But then there's also uh, the Great Tribulation, which does seem to be what John is referring to here because of uh, the, the language that he uses. This, this period at the end of the age where the tribulation intensifies, and we pointed out before, um, that Jesus likens it to uh, a woman with birth pains. So the idea seems to be that the closer you get to the end, the closer you get to delivery, the pains get more intense, stronger, right, and more frequent. So if you just take that analogy and bring it over to tribulation in this world, the closer we get to the end, the tribulation intensifies. It's stronger, and it gets more, um, more frequent. And these, the angel says, these ones who are clothed in white robes are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. That is, they've been delivered out of it, one way or the other. Probably by beheading, because that's what we're going to be told later on in the book. But one way or the other, either by martyrdom or just having lived and died, they come out of great tribulation. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now notice something here. Therefore, Therefore, and this is going to bring us to our third point, okay? Secure forever. <laughs> Secure forever. Look, the, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, is offering us security now by showing us that we are secure now and forever in Christ, right? Secure forever. So notice this, this word, therefore, or it could be translated because of this, they are before the throne. Because of this, they are before the throne. Because of what? Well, he says, they washed their robes and made them white 
in the blood of the Lamb. So here you have this innumerable multitude. And, and if, as I have uh, suggested, the 144,000 is the same group, just, just uh, presented in a different, in a different picture, but, but referring to the same group, uh, then here you have this innumerable multitude from every people group around the globe, and they have been sealed with the seal of the living God. Going into tribulation, they have been marked out, sealed by the living God. Marked out as one of His. As a sign of protection, to be security, safety, to be, to, be, to be protected by Him. In other words, going into the tribulation, they will face the persecution from, uh, from the world, right? Persecution from the beast that we're going to encounter in chapters to come. But they don't face the wrath of God. And a great picture of this, uh, and I think intentionally so, is um, the children of Israel in Egypt. When God unleashes the ten plagues on Egypt, we're told repeatedly there that He made a difference between Israel and the Egyptians. And He protected, even in the midst, well, you know, they're living in the midst of Egypt, but He protected them while He's pouring out His wrath on the Egyptians. He protected His people. So here they are, sealed, going into the tribulation, sealed with the seal of the living God. And because of that, they are safe and they emerge, that is, they come out of great tribulation in victory, having washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, what is pictured here is you've got a a people who belong to the Lord. People who, who, as we say... Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians, saved by grace, right? Washed, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Wearing white robes, which pictures the righteousness of Christ. Made white by being washed in the blood of the Lamb. The death of Jesus Christ. So now, before I even go on to the the next few verses, before we wrap this up... um, Here's what's happening here, I think. So, so he says again in verse 15, Because of this, they are before the throne of God. Because of what? Well, because they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, they endured great tribulation and now stand before the throne of God in the very presence of God because they are in Christ. This is assurance for us. We, we can endure in this present world whatever evil we're faced with. Not because of our own righteousness. Not because of our own strength. Not because of our own pedigree or something like that. But because of the righteousness of Christ. And because His righteousness is put to our account through faith in what He did at Calvary. Through His death, our robes are washed in His blood, right? So His righteousness is put to our account. Therefore, they emerge victorious, having endured. Now, here's what I think is going on here. Let's go back just just for a minute to chapter 6. 
And we're, we're getting this, in the latter part of chapter 6, we're getting this horrific description of these, uh, you know, these, this cataclysmic, cosmic upheaval, right? I mean, just mountains being removed, islands being removed, sun and moon go dark, stars falling. And then we're told that people are literally, literally crying out, uh, to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, this is verse 16, 616, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So, so the picture is God is pouring out His wrath on the world and people are crying out um, to be hidden from the wrath of God because it is so severe, so intense. And then the last part of verse 17 there says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? Well, now let's jump back over to chapter 7, verse 15. And I think what is happening here is we're getting the answer to that. Who can stand? When God pours out His wrath, who can stand? Well, if, if, if we're just relying on our own works, our own accomplishments our own merit to stand before the holy God and face His wrath, then the answer is no one. In other words, we could say it this way, no one can stand on their own. I cannot stand on my own merit and face God. But there will be those who stand before the throne and ultimately serve Him day and night Worshiping Him, enjoying His presence. There will be those who emerge from great tribulation, even while the wrath of God is being poured out on this world, those who stand before Him in glory. And it is those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And the whole message here is that these are the only ones who will stand. In fact, well, let's just say it this way. There's a twofold message, like we often say. Two sides of one coin, right? One side is this. There's a clear message here that this is the only way to stand before God. That, that's what they're saying in verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In other words, there's, there's no salvation found anywhere else. Salvation is a sovereign work of an omnipotent God. So, again, Jonah says, salvation is of the Lord, Yahweh. It's the same, same picture here. Salvation belongs to our God, Yahweh. The God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And it's a statement of exclusivity. In other, there, there is no other way. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The, the Lamb. That's the one. The one who takes away the sin of the world. There, there is no other. There's, there's not another route. To go. There's not another Savior. There's one way. So, 
to face the wrath of God and emerge safe. There's, there's only one way. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And it boils down to this. That's because He has taken the wrath of God in our place. Right? So, one way of salvation. Salvation belongs to our God. Now, here's the other side of that coin. Not, not only is it just a statement that there's only one way, but, and I think this is the main point, again, in the, in the book of Revelation, it is a word of assurance for all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. Because sometimes, sometimes the pressure gets seemingly unbearable, doesn't it? And certainly it would be without the Lord. I mean, the heat gets turned up. High. The tribulation sometimes gets strong. And as I said earlier, sometimes in the form of persecution, men, just because of their faith, you know, maybe led out on a beach and beheaded. Women and children taken into captivity and slavery. Sometimes it takes other forms. Devastating diagnosis. Losses that we encounter in this world, sometimes in the form of losing loved ones. Sometimes the tribulation just gets intense. And I think if we we believe what God has given us here, um, what what we see in the full picture, and, and, and I'm not making predictions here, is I don't know when the Lord... Is, is, I don't know when Jesus is returning and, and when all this is going to wrap up, okay? All I know is that every day we get closer. Maybe today, maybe 5,000 years from now, I don't know. But I know this, every day we get closer. And besides, you and I aren't going to be around very long anyway. Uh, 50 years from now, not many people that are in this room today are still going to be on this planet, even if the Lord tarries that long. The only way to face the tribulation that we face in this world is, and to face it safely and to emerge safely, is to face it in Christ. It's, it, it gets intense, and it's going to get more intense as we grow closer to the end. Now, it's because of this, because they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, that they are able to stand. Therefore, it's because of this they are before the throne of God and serve Him night and day in His temple. Day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them. You see that? They serve Him continually. And what does He do? He shelters them. Or literally, that's... Um, I'm not sure why the ESV translates that, that way, but um, if you have King James, it will say he, he will feed them. And the word is a verb there. He, he will feed them. He will shepherd... Uh, I'm sorry, getting ahead of myself here. It's the word shepherd. Um, yeah, in verse 17. Getting ahead of myself there. Um, so first, he will, they will serve Him. He will shelter them. They will shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, because we're sheltered. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And that's the one I was referring to. Not a, not, it's a verb in the Greek. He will feed them or shepherd them. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. So, so you start out with 144,000 on this side of the tribulation, but their assurance is, uh, or their safety rather, is assured because they're being sealed with the seal of the living God. And then you get to the innumerable multitude in verse 9, and it's, it's, I think, representing the same group of people, but they're on this side of the tribulation. They have emerged from it safe. That doesn't mean they didn't encounter any trouble. doesn't mean they weren't persecuted. But their souls were preserved. It's fascinating. You look at Jesus' account of some of these things in Luke 21, and after He tells them all that they're going to go through, or we're going to go through, even being killed, He says, but I'll tell you this, not a hair of your head will perish. And you're thinking, now what? <laughs> he, he just talked about all these bad things we're going to face, and then He says, not a hair of your head will perish. What does He mean by that? Well, I think He's saying in spite of all the bad things that you will face, even physical persecution, torture, even physical persecution and death, physical death, he's saying, even in all of that, I'm going to keep you safe. You're not going to be lost. Of all the Father that has given me, I will lose none, not one, except the son of perdition. That's Judas. He's lost. But other than that, Jesus says, of all that the Father has given me, I'm not going to lose a one. I'm going to raise them up at the last day. Our safety, our security, rests in Him. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. So, they are before the throne of God, and here's a picture of us throughout eternity. Before the throne of God, serve Him day and night in His temple, and He will shelter us with His presence. Uh, the word shelter there is, uh, it's the word for tent, you know, he'll, he'll like put a covering over us. Uh, it's the same word that John uses in John 1.14 um, when he's talking about G- the incarnation. He became flesh and tabernacled among us, pitched his tent among us. It's the same word here. He'll, he'll pitch a tent over us with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Do you see what he's saying? All of the, all of the tribulation, as in, intense as it is, as severe as it gets, especially when you get close to the end, as bad as it gets in this world, it is temporary. And you and I are looking forward, as believers, we're looking forward to a time when it will all be behind us. And there won't be any more. There won't be any more death. There won't be any more experience of sin. Some of us this morning, you know, or even right now, but as we're singing or as we're, we're listening to the Word, we're, you know, we're struggling to focus. You know, we want to worship God. We want to praise God, but we struggle to focus. That's because of sin in here. But we won't have that in eternity. No more of that. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will feed them. Or shepherd them. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Secure forever. And that, that's the picture that I think John wants us to get here. That's the picture that I think Jesus 
And the Holy Spirit wants us to get here. That no no matter what we face in this world, as believers, and I'm putting that qualifier on there, because these are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, this is not for everybody universally. This is for those who are in Christ. As believers, whatever we face in this world, we can face knowing that we are secure in Him. Now and forever. Would you stand, please? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I ask you, who who is going to usurp God and take that away? (laughs) Nobody. So if if, if, if you're in Christ today, you're like Noah in the boat. I mean, the world may be um, destroyed around you. If you're in Christ, you're safe in Him. If you're not in Christ, then it's a, a, quite a different story. And, and I just want to close with this as before we dismiss. Um, I urge you, if you don't know where you stand today with the Lord, if you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I urge you today, call upon Him. Listen, the Scripture assures us, all who call upon Him shall be saved. You you come to Him submitting to His Lordship, asking Him to forgive you of your sin, understanding, receiving the fact that He has paid for your sins in His death at Calvary, You come to Him and you have the assurance that He will not refuse you. And I urge you to do that today if you haven't already. We're going to have a word of prayer and we're going to dismiss. And Lord willing, we'll see you back tonight at 6 p.m. Dan, uh, would you mind praying for us and we'll be dismissed.